0: Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and/or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Sika, general manager of the Sarnia Sting. Dylan is one of those people who brings a wealth of knowledge to the table with his background as a player, scout, and manager, and he is someone who has helped me progress my career as well, so I was ecstatic to have him come on and share his story here today. With that, I am happy to present Dylan Sika, General Manager of the Sarnia Sting. Today we're joined by Dylan Sika, the General Manager of the Sarnia Sting. Dylan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Looking forward to it. Yeah,
1: it'd it's, be good to me. Yeah, no, I'll try. And uh, for those of, who probably know, um, I'm with the Sarnia staying, and obviously you are as well, and you kind of brought me in there. So it's um, a different perspective to have you on here and, and kind of get to know your background, as I know, but um, I'm sure others will be interested in hearing as well. So how about you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, including where you grew up, and then speak to your involvement in sports throughout your childhood.
2: Grew up in um, Sunridge, Ontario, Ryan. It's a small, small community just uh, outside of North Bay. A real hockey, a real hockey, like passionate community. Uh, A lot of guys had come through the NHL. You know, there was Ron Atwell was a guy, and Greg Burge. I mean, these are not well-known NHL guys. Um, And Keith McCreary and Bill McCreary, who was the NHL official, they had grown up in Sunridge. And this is a town of like 1,000 people or less than. So I mean, you know, just some of those names are guys that played in the NHL, and you know, as a minor hockey player, you you learned to know that, and you know everything you did was hockey, and you were outside and you were chasing balls and pucks around, and doing the same thing in the winter time. And it's funny, I really never had the idea that I would ever say work in hockey or or be or play at a higher level more than what was just available in Sunridge, but it just came to be where I guess I was. You know, better than the average guy and my parents were good enough to take me to wherever I would needed to go. And, you know, I toiled through some triple A and it was long drives to North Bay and, you know, and in and out of some junior C and junior B and then junior A and then in the OHL eventually. But um, yeah, just a, an unbelievable community. My wife and I, we have a cottage back there. So in the summers we'll We'll venture back to Sunridge, and she's from the near town of South River. So there's some rivalry between those two towns. One is a little higher regard than the other, and I'll let you figure out which one is better than than the other. But uh, it's a beautiful country. We it's good to get up and get away from you know what is our jobs as as you know I've I've got an education background in teaching, and so is my wife. So we get to get away and get back and enjoy. But. You know as far as uh you know sport like I said about hockey but I, I loved all sports Ryan I really did like I like I said about hockey but it was like I loved the golf I actually probably loved baseball more than hockey as a kid you know I would dream about playing for the Blue Jays and I'd listen to the games of my grandparents on the radio and and uh, I can I can really vividly remember some of those summer nights just listening to the games and Dave Steep's no hitter one that comes to mind and I don't know if you're old enough to even know who Dave Steve is but um yeah it was honestly I, I loved where I grew up and, and we moved because we knew we had to make a better you know business-wise for us we had to get out and get away but love to get back my parents still live there so did my wife's parents and my, my uh my sister's there so it's good to go home when we get there
1: yeah for sure i um, always interested in hearing the uh the backgrounds of people where you're from and yeah. the small town feel is always um you know makes for a great story and then your involvement in sports and multiple sports uh, outside of hockey and baseball being one and Blue Jays and I do know Steve. Uh, I was uh, I am enough of a fan to kind of know the names and, and know the stories. So um, another interesting uh, story there. But uh, I know you touched on a little bit of your junior career. Maybe just touch on the remainder of your playing career, including your experience in the OHL and then at Laurentian.
2: Yeah, it was a 10th round pick, Ryan. I remember I was drafted. We were at the at the time the OHL was a um, – you would go to the draft, so you would be invited and you would sit in in uh, in the stands. So I was in London, Ontario, and I I was apparently supposed to go somewhere in the middle rounds, and this is the 1993 draft. Anyway, right before my pick, or it must have been that pick or the pick before, my, my mom says to me, she's like, man, I just hope – you know, and we're starting to get upset, and, and 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 she says, "I just hope you don't go to a team like Detroit. It's so far away." And and you know, of course, I'm thinking, "Yeah, I know. Like God, that'd be terrible." And as <laughs> luck would have it, the Detroit Junior Red Wings are pleased to select, and I'm like, "I," my eyes go big, and so is my mom. My dad is like laughing his head off because she just said it. So. Drafted to Detroit, and Ryan would would have been easily the most unbelievable experience of my life. Um, you know, we had uh, Jim Rutherford who was the general manager at the time, and Paul Maurice is the head coach, and Pete DeBoer is the assistant coach. Um, three of which I have kind of somewhat stayed in touch with uh, Pete DeBoer more so than the others. And um, but uh, to to get there, and in the tenth round, I mean Todd Harvey's my center, I and mean, he's ninth overall at Dallas in that year, and here I am to be like I said to you before. You really never dreamed. and never thought I'd be in this situation and, and, you know, awestruck and just skate up and down the wing and hitting everything that I can find. And, and if someone looked at me funny, I'd try to fight them. And I just think in my head that this just made sense, right? I don't know how long I'm going to make this hockey team. And, if, and again, I, somehow unbelievably Jim Rutherford thought that what I did made sense and looked good. And even to this day, I think, I think he's a little crazy, but, um, yeah, I signed. And as a 10th, I walked right onto the team and played played minutes all the way through and, and uh, so played a year and a bit in Detroit and was traded a couple of times in deadline deals to one of Niagara Falls and then one back to Kitchener. Both times Detroit went on runs. So I like to think that I helped them, um, one, get the Memorial Cup, and two, win Ontario Championship. <laughs> Just not on the ice. Uh, I'm a team guy though, right? So, um, yeah, it, it was great experience playing in the league. And, you know, and I would tell players when we're recruiting now and, and uh you know even family members or anyone that asked me about my experiences in hockey and why I think where you get to your are at is it's just the opportunity to to gain rapport and mingle and you know guys that I've played with that are now in the National Hockey League and some of them are in management scenarios you know I've referenced a few of the coaches and stuff and, and you know other guys that play with are work in the OHL and that's what got me into scouting and you're know, maybe going you to ask me that next but you know really that's what that's what got me there um yeah uh and Laurentian <laughs> Laurentian's kind of a funny story is my uh, my wife was who was my girlfriend at the time uh, was going to the Wrench, and so I thought oh, maybe I'll just spend a little more time near her. And I contact the coach, and and um, I go and I had an, I had a great time. Craig Duncanson was our coach. He was a first round pick at the LA Kings, a really great guy. And the atmosphere in university hockey, you don't know if you know many people, if you talk to many people, the hockey's actually excellent. And, but the atmosphere was so fun. It was laid back. I mean, at that point I, I realized my career has, has come to an end and I need to be an academic, which was hard to kind of get to that point in my life, but I did. And, but just the ability to play around other guys and, and still be playing, but then having a good time, but the, the hockey was so competitive too. If uh, Probably the best thing that happened for me with Ryan was our team fold. So Lawrence university becomes no more. And I really had to decide what I wanted to do. And, uh, I dialed into school my marks went through the roof and uh, I guess the other part of that is history and you know, getting into teaching and then off have my master's in education and and it'd be talking to my high school high school teachers they would laugh that they know and then one I'm a teacher and two I've got my master's in ed but um, yeah I fell in love with uh, with um, the real world after hockey kind of closed its doors there in Laurentian.
1: Yeah an interesting story for sure and uh, two key things there. One, like you said, the school, uh, school team folding, and maybe it was an opportunity for you to dive into academics more and learn that way. But uh, you look at that initial coaching staff, uh, Rutherford, Maurice and DeBoer, like what a better place to learn and hockey minds to be around. And, um, you know, I'm sure from those conversations, you got the itch and uh, things you learned early on, you're maybe even using today. So people are always interested in hearing about the first coaching positions. Uh, what was your entry to coaching, and then talk about what you learned in that uh, first uh, experience?
2: Um, I got my I well, I was back living at home in Sunridge after university ended, and I started. There was a, a local which they were be like sea hockey and. In in Summers, it's called the Amagwon. I think they're called the Ice Devils. And, and and I really I was just transitioning from university, kind of looking for a job, deciding where we were going to go next. And it was just there over the course of a winter. And and the midget team had asked if I wanted to coach, and I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And I thought and I, and I but I fell in love with them. Like this is fantastic. And it led into doing some AAA, which is the North Central Predators, who play in the ETA here in Ontario. Um, Again, you know, we, we had some success. We, uh, you know, we had players that weren't the best, but we, you know, it's funny that was Stamkos' draft year, and Stamkos had 160 points in one year. And I'll be honest, our our pregame speeches with Stamkos and Delzado was on the back end. Was if we can hold Stamkos to two points or less, then that was like a win. And I think we promised, the, you know, the players something ridiculous in return and 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 we go down to play in markham and in the first period he has two points but in the second period he doesn't play so he (laughs) doesn't finish the game but the guy's like he had a goal and assist we lost the game six one and we still had to fulfill the wish which i feel like some was some kind of food related prize but you know and ryan i just had i got the itch to be and this is the teaching side of me too is i really just love being around around people and, and helping kids and 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 watching them flourish and seeing them succeed and the joys of you know the joy in their face and you know and I I feel like maybe I I think I started to find my way and like this is what I should be doing and you're always wondering like what's my career what am I going to do and this is what I thought and I still had never had any aspirations of of making it something official I just did it because I loved it and it led into you know coaching a junior A team in Aurelia which was the coaching terriers like you know the guy came calling and was like hey Dylan what do you think and they, oh, yeah okay that sounds good and. You know, that led into doing a little bit more. I did a little junior as I had a couple of kids. I couldn't commit to traveling. And, you know, and some something happened in Huntsville where they were hosting the Dudley Hewitt Cup. And they, I came calling in early January to where you drive, made the two hour drive every day to coach a Huntsville team. And I was managing at that point. And I think this was when I really thought, like, I was scouting a little bit at the time. I think it was for Ottawa. You know, I was more just to be around some friends and get out of get out of the house from time to time, and but when I had that team in Huntsville and we were, I was the coach and GM, albeit a short stint. I felt like this might be something I could do a little bit more more serious, um, and, and it's like anything. It's I mean, and all of it is the contacts that you make along the way. It's it's being willing to and people ask me it's like being willing to work hard you know put hours in if I bought my if I bought my wife into this call and she she answered the question she'd say yeah, I put ridiculous hours into things that she'd shake her head at you know from building rosters to calling players to to going to watch them to to thinking about what color socks would match well like it's just the way and and you know you die. I dove right into it and I loved it um so it's kind of funny how it's 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 coming to full circle now and I'm excited for that because of it but yeah, I think I stumbled across it, Ryan, to be honest. Tons yeah. of fun along the way. I'm sure I, – I hope there's more more opportunities to come. That's my sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. You just want to keep going and, and look for that next opportunity. And, you know, after Huntsville, that opportunity is with the uh, Ottawa 67s. Uh, how did you land in that initial position? And then uh, talk about the experience of scouting uh, with the 67s.
2: was – Unbelievable, Ryan. So Joel Roley and anyone who listens to this podcast that's been around Ontario scouting, Joel Roley's, Joel's got to be 85, maybe 86. He hasn't scouted for the last couple of years, but he worked for the 67s for 35, 36 years. Him and Brian Killeray were, were Mutt and Jeff. Anyway, Joel bumps into me as I was doing a little bit independent scouting for ISS. And that's a good thing for anyone, you know, out there is I I, I was I want to get into the business. So I and I, again, once I really fell in love with scouting part two, I'm like, I want to do this. How do I do this? So I was volunteering with ISS and and uh, getting my feet wet with them and and in, that, in doing so where you rub shoulders with Joe Rowley. It's no different than you've been in the ranks, and that's kind of how the the network starts to begin. And Joe says we need a scout and I follow Joe at a few arenas. I I know they love scotch and, and I know he loves to tell stories and I'm the type that could sit and laugh and listen to anybody. And then he says, well, why don't you come work for us in Ottawa and you can meet Brian Kilray. And I was like, where do I sign? How much do you want me to pay? Cause I'll pay. Like I, like I don't even need anything. I'm in and uh and so working for those guys was was like unbelievable experience the laughs that we would have uh, i can't tell the kill ray stories over your podcast i mean if i did you'd be spitting chicklets or or one of those other types because it's not clean but they they taught me and I, ryan i i carry this to today this is true is they taught me you've got to have fun and you have to have people around you that want to have fun i mean obviously you got to have intelligent people and 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 they need to know the game. They need to be confident. They need to trust themselves. And and they but they put that confidence within me, and, I, and I'll take that with me too. But they they the fun that those guys would have on a regular basis. They would they'd order jugs of beer and chicken wings and fries, and they're in their late 70s and going in their 80s. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm I'm ordering a salad because my wife says I need to shed five pounds. And Kill Ray's on his third jug of beer and second pound of wings, and it's just like and and they but they and they'll tell you like you you have to enjoy what you do. And if you don't like it's a grind right the hours in the rink the hours away from your family and the stories they would tell it it made it all worth it and i I can't remember the exact off the top how many years i was there but when i finally left it was such a hard decision because i just didn't want to leave those guys in that experience but you know but we've carried it into sarnia we tried to build a similar type of atmosphere where we
1: enjoy each other's company and
2: we may have a little more fun than we should some nights but you know what that makes it worth it i think
1: yeah it's all part of the process and um, you know, when you enjoy what you do off the ice, I feel like it translates to something better on the ice. So you talked about Sarnia, um, after Ottawa, you would join the Sting scouting staff. Uh, what drew you to Sarnia initially, and then touch on your time as a scout and then moving into director of player personnel.
2: So Nick Sinclair was, um, so Nick and I got to know each other through ISS, which is the independent scouting service. So Nick and I would kind of dabbled in there you know, going back, uh, Mike Oak is now the general manager in Peterborough and Oakie was with ISS and Chris McNamara, uh, who's the head scout in Peterborough. He was there too. So we had actually, looking back, it's kind of a neat number of us that were working in that system. So Nick and I knew each other through that and we'd always stayed in touch and, and that's the network side yet again. You know, you're always trying to, you know, you're keeping in touch with the guys and starting to learn as much as you can. And you're not sharing notes, but you're just sharing opportunities and ideas. And so Nick and I had this dream that if we ever had to work for on our own, we ever got a job, then we would hire the other and off we'd go. So if luck would have it, Nick gets the job as a GM in Sarnia. And he says, okay, Sika, I'm, I'm calling you up on your on our conversations. And I had to backpedal a few times. I was like, I don't know, man, I love it here in Ottawa. But the opportunity to work with a great guy who's a progressive thinker, you know, and I knew would do an unbelievable job in Sarnia. And I, and, and I wanted to learn more. And, I, and at this point, I'm really starting to think it's something I want to do more so yeah i jump over and and joined in as his just a scout for the first year or two to be honest i wanted to earn my keep and that was the deal that him and i had struck but you know he'd offered more and and but we decided there were some people in place and out of respect for those we decided let's just let's just earn my way and see where my real niche would fit in and and uh, the scouting side of it just started to really more scout more often I covered more of the province than I normally would and get into us scouting where I didn't really get into that with Ottawa so much. It was more player development and, and looking after our drafted players and knowing my area, which was the ETA. So in Sarnia, I was responsible for everything in, in the province and that, that blossomed into gaining trust with the ownership group and him and the rest of our scouting staff. And, and that's a neat point too, Brian, like, obviously within you know you might know what you're doing or be confident what you're doing but you then have to go into the group of it's not all guys it's no it's all guys and girls um you know and scouting networks and you're sitting in your scouting meeting and you've got to be able to 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 you've got to they have to trust you and they also have to you know they have to trust that your your voice means something and it's not and, and and it's not out of disrespect and and although you've got to speak your mind, it's just, there is a, I think there's a big part of how well you can mesh into the room. And, and uh, so I think it needed time for that to take place. And once it did, I was lucky enough to be, you know, a director scouting or a director player personnel and I interwoven into a lot of the decision makings that Nick would make. And I learned, you know, along the way the, the good, the bad and the ugly. And so I thought, well, one day I'll think I'll follow his footsteps. Never thought it would happen in this format following him uh, as he departs into something
1: bigger and better. But but it did. Yeah, it. you know, sometimes these opportunities just come up and you never really know how they're going to come up or when they're going to come up. But all the same, they still do. Uh, before we move into your GM position, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your time teaching. Uh, without being too, too specific, uh, touch on that and uh, more specifically how did it help in other areas such as uh, scouting coaching and eventually management
2: yeah good good question um you know the teaching side became a passion too and it, probably out of the initial coaching because i was i was destined to be a police officer ryan well in the university days i thought i'd be a lawyer i was going to law school and that was my plan and then was school and although i love school the lsat seemed something that i just didn't want to do and then I. I like policing. I like the idea of being interactive and involved in the community. And, and I think the the policing, um, the environment felt, or I had friends that were head and police officers, felt like a team. So that's what I missed in the hockey world. I feel like I could get being a police officer, you know, mingling with the with the other employees and staff. And then obviously dealing with chaos across the community. Um, so that's, that was my goal. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a cop. Uh, and I decide halfway through I, I interview and I'm actually hired by the OPP and I'm waiting to get into what would be police college. Um, unfortunately a friend of mine uh, was working on a staff and they lost a, a police officer to, a, you know, to it an accident. And, and this good friend of mine, he's probably put me, he's definitely put me in the right direction. He called me in the middle of the night uh, a couple nights after and said, you got to change. You can't do this. And I and think he knows I'm a pretty passionate guy. And, Anything I think part of him probably would realize like Sika, you're going to end up, this is not going to be for you. it's not going to be good for your health and good for your family. And, and, and at which I, I talk to him still today, we, we talk on a monthly basis. We get together and golf as much as we can. So he's a great friend. And so I followed his lead. I'll be honest. I was like, hey, and at this point, my wife's in the teacher's college and, and I had to backtrack and off I go into teaching. So the education side you know what i love is i work with at risk kids and i right away that's where the principals put me and maybe they thought that i was an at risk kid myself i don't know and uh, and again maybe i let off earlier telling you that wasn't the best of students but and i'm okay for you to put that in your podcast but um i really enjoyed working with those those kids that are are a little bit uh, they're at risk and they've got tough lives and that's that could be socioeconomic it could be something tough in their family you know, um, um, mental health issue. And I really, really loved working with those players, those kids. And, and I, I think the relation and what it taught me is, uh, you know, not everyone's equal. Right. And, and that's the same for players. And when we're looking at them and yeah, we've got, we do have what we think is a template for what a player looks like. Well, a student can't be, and and you can mold them to a degree, but you've got to be able to look through the glass from time to time and, and, and peel layers off the onion and, and get down to what makes them tick. And, and I think from the scouting side, I really started to get a good feel for for people. Like, and that's first impressions, right? That carries a lot of weight. Your first impression of somebody, I thought, I find whether that be a student or a teacher or now a hockey player. So my first read when I meet them off the ice, my read on the ice, when I'm talking to them or watching them on the ice or talking to them on the phone or meeting their family, you can get a really good sense for who they are. And I and I know I've learned that in the 15 years I've been teaching, I've seen I've seen you know obviously some some good situations with some horror stories too so that absolutely it's, it's taught me that the ability to, to kind of find character and, and, and kind of pull out character in kids and the organization side you know are it's still not elite for me but um, you know for for education you're very regimented in our in our routine and our communication in our ability to approach process data, you know that's obviously through marking and, and communicating the marks and through with families, and so I, I carry that into where I am in, in the GM role and everything I've done in hockey. And and, and the, I said communication, and Ryan, that's that's got to be number one in sport and in hockey. Um, I'm sure anyone you've you've talked to in your podcast has got to have, must have at least touched on that. But for me, that's definitely what teaching has taught me: the value in in teach and communicating what I think what we expect of you or, you know, and obviously that being the player now, and I'm talking hockey and, and how we're going to get you there. Um, and then and along the way, we're just feeding you with, you know, with hammering you with feedback. And, and so I, I take that and hopefully we're going to transition that into what we're doing in Sarnia. And we have done that for the last couple of years. We've had some good success with drafting and, and developing and seeing guys, probably jump into the NHL earlier than we wanted. You know, we can look at uh, Chikarans and Kairos and some of those. And, and even when we drafted, you know, we didn't draft but we traded for Connect Me. Um But guys that we've had and things we've done with them, um, yeah, I see a, a direct correlation for sure. So And yeah. hopefully it just keeps getting better.
1: Yeah, definitely an overlap there and a number of great points that you touched on and, and how they correlate to your position. So moving into your current position, you're now the general manager with the Sarnia Sting. Uh, talk about that quick process of becoming the general manager and then what uh, the initial transition has been like for you.
2: Yeah. Quick, quick in a sense. Um, I, you know, it, I did have a feeling Nick and I obviously talked quite a bit um, that, that something was going to come for him and, and that's, and that's excellent. You know, I didn't expect it to come from the ownership group as quick as it did, but so that was um, obviously flattering to a degree and you have to, you know, now you got to weigh the pros and cons is, you know what's is, is it is this worth it is it not where are we at do I align with what ownership thinks and and obviously luckily enough we we, we hit on all those areas and it was it was really an easy decision once we kind of all had sitting and talked and I, and even talked with Nick about it too you know the transition's been exciting to be honest Nick uh, Ryan sorry early on I was um tentative to you know how is it going to work during COVID times but hit the ground running, man. Phone rings. Hey, everyone wants to call. Everyone's got an opinion. <laughs> everyone wants to know, you know, where you trade X player for X player. No, I won't. Um, thanks for asking. And then, um, you know, then how are we going to change our, how are we going to change our culture and how are we going to adjust what we do and how can we think outside the box? And this is where you and I have had some amazing conversations. I think it's just the best to come as, is, you know, we look at the analytics side and how do we evaluate players and people and, yeah you know so that's really what's occupied a lot of my time and a lot recently and i've been reading a lot too but it's just looking at culture and looking at ways that we can think think differently than what maybe other teams would or or you know what do we notice in trends in other teams and if they're doing things how do we not steal it but there's no harm in looking at, at ways to be creative too so that's been occupying my time uh of late it's funny how time flies though Whoa you know here we are and and just thinking like where are we gonna when we're gonna start was talking to coaches today you know and and you know we're like weeks away from what would be we think training camp it's gonna fly by
1: yeah it, it really is one of those things that kind of sneaks up on you and uh you know I joined the team there just before last season and it feels like it was only yesterday where we kind of started talking and now here we are a little while later but Uh, Definitely an interesting time for you to join as general manager, maybe a different experience than most people would have and a lot more circumstances and kind of learning on the fly. But um, I've had some other people come on the podcast and talk about uh, being thrown into a position, uh, obviously ready for it, but still there's a big learning curve and they feel like the less time you have to really think and just do, you can kind of uh, be more successful in that way. So it's interesting to hear your perspective and things like that. Uh, Looking at the organization as a whole, uh, I know you've been there for a number of years now, but now you're in a position, uh, the more prominent position. Uh, What is your opinion on the state of the team uh, amid recent changes? You know, the scouting staff has changed. Uh, Kyle Craner's moved into your old role, things like that. And uh, where do you envision the sting in, say, you know, five years time?
2: Um, well, we're going to win a Memorial cup first, right? And that's, that, that's one of the visions that I have. Um, no question. I mean, we all want to win and that's no secret. That's the, that's the plan. That's the process. Um, the, the state of the organization, I mean, I, I do, we've got a lot of young talent. There's no question. We, we, you know, the year wasn't excellent this past season. And a lot of that's out of our control. Um, injuries, uh, you know, the odd suspension, I mean, so those things trickle in and, but one, like I said, I've touched on there's things that we want to try to look at like you know how we develop and the conversations we can have and the culture changes that we want to make and that's not the slack of what was happening in the past because I, I was a part of those things in the past it's just it's an opportunity to reinvent right and that's what that's what invigorates me and I know when talking to the rest of our our guys and our staff and our players is you know sometimes a year that doesn't go well it's a, it's a self it's a chance for, for a reflection so you know, upon that reflection, we look at our team and we love our pieces. You know, we've got some excellent talent up front. You know, arguably two of the better forwards in our league this season with Jacob Perot and Jameson Reese. You know, you know, Jameson Reese is, and both actually have a chance to you know, let's hope the world juniors run. They're they're you know, they're on the short list for the world juniors for Team Canada. You know, so we love, you know, initial talent up front. We've got great depth and great leadership, you know, and Braden Guy and, and, and you know, up front. And, and Ryan Roth is another one. And Sam Bittens another one. So we really love our lineup. And then we, we've, we're obviously happy with our draft in the last couple of years, too. Like Max Domestikoff, who people I talk to are still, you know, really excited to see. And some people are like, how did you guys work this deal? And then we're just fortunate to have good conversations with them. Um, and, you know, had a good sense that if we drafted him, he'd show. But to get a guy like Max, you know, on top of Ty Voitz and some Nolan Dans and, and the other old 3s and old 2s we've got, we're, you know, we, we, we think we stack up well in the back ends. Deep, experienced, you know, even uh, on our back ends, to, uh, Eric Worth was this, our Euro you know, he just was participating with uh, Team Sweden and their World Junior Prep camps, and was the top D pairing and led their power play. And, and I just talked to him the other day, and the coaching staff's thrilled with them. So, we think Eric's going to explode too. So, getting at it. Plus, we've got the best young goaltender, what we think in Canada. And yes, we're biased, but we're going to stick to that 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 comment. Um, and you know, and he's an unbelievable kid. and uh, And Benny Goudreau. So we got a good team, right? And everyone feels like that in the off season. But uh, that's our thought. So we feel like we should be in a spot to to push for the top of our, our conference, and and then moving forward, we're just going to keep dealing and dra- like you know drafting well and putting young guys in the lineup and protecting them and teaching them, and and have a system and a process that they're that they feel comfortable in, that they can you know I call it feel safe in their environment. Um, you know, and like I've said, the feedback and, and the conversations will be vital. And I think we're going to be on a good run here in the next couple of years. So, and, and whether it be five years of win a cup or, or this year or the year after it's, it's coming, I, I got that sense And this community, Ryan deserves a team that can make a run at it. You know, we've had, an, um, we've had unbelievable teams here in the past, you know, two years back, three years back, we had Jordan Cairo, who was the best player in Canada and and um you know world junior star and drafted and signed with St. Louis and and we thought we had that team this was this is the team to win and we met a real tough team in Kitchener that just had our number we couldn't get past them the second round and we just feel like this the community deserves a, you know a, a, a team that can make a real run at it so that's where our mo- our focus and our commitment is today is to do something strong for this community we've always had passionate fans man it's it's impressive where they when they come out you know, the years that we've been strong, the place is packed as standing room only and it's not a huge arena. I mean, we're into like just under 5,000 when we're full, but they're, they're so, they're so passionate. They love to be a part of the sting. Nothing more than we would love to do is to bring some form of championship back to them. So yeah. uh, Yeah. Got a good sense. We're on that, on that page and that's everybody pulling the right way. That's, that's your do you doing your job. And me doing mine and the coaches and the, and the assistant GM and Mark Lavin and the players and everybody in the scouting staff, we're trying real hard to put everyone on the, on the same page and, 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 really feel proud of where we are and who we are. And we feel like that's going to put us in the right direction earlier.
1: Yeah. You build that process and you know, you can only hope for good results, but like you said, it's a, it's a great team and great staff and um, you know, a lot, a lot of good things to come. Uh, you touched about, uh, talked about the players on the ice, uh, Jacob Perot and Jameson Reese and, and Benny and Ness. Uh, you know, you've been on a scouting side and, and management side and things like that. Uh, what is it about these players that push them into that next tier? Is it uh, the work ethic, um, other things like just elaborate on that topic a little bit? I think, I mean, absolutely work ethic. I, I, I might phrase it as compete
2: more so than work ethic. I mean, I guess work ethic, they maybe go hand in hand and people could interpret it differently. But, you know, hard work for me is it can be, kind of interpret in other ways like I might work hard while I'm gardening but I'm not working I mean but if I'm competing that means I'm right I'm, I'm competing against you and how much better is your garden than mine right and so to me it's the compete level and that's what I, I reference for for those guys and their ability to want the want the puck and and want to have it and, and their competitiveness and, and like all three of those guys and, and Jameson and uh, Jacob and Ben in their respective positions and the way that they view themselves as players is they they want to be the best and they wanted to be that way all along and they you know and arguably in their in their draft years they were the best at their position on their teams and even in their areas and you know we had that points at Jamison ranked number one in the draft that year we had Benny as the best goaltender no question and um you know jacob coming out of um, uh, the u.s that year we had him as essentially the top u.s player available that year too so yeah, I think it's the compete level and the desire to want to be the best that they can be and they just they, i think that's how they live their life that's how they train that's how they you know they live and breathe the sport too like and that's 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 a common trend with with what would be the best players is that they absolutely love the sport they know everything about whether it be the the stats side or and where they fit in and 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 who's this player on this team, and those that's the type of person you have to be i think to to be able to to kind of have the success that they've had it doesn't come easy some kids it doesn't come easy to and i'm not saying that's come easy to these three but i think it it may look like it because but but they put the work in
1: yeah yeah and the, and the passion is clearly there in all three of them and it translate to uh some impressive on ice numbers uh you know both in that and on score sheet and yeah. and even just in overall um, another topic I wanted to go into before we get reflective here is, uh, you know, people are always interested in hearing about the tasks and duties and hockey operations. Um, you know, while we've touched on before that season is, or this off season, I should say, has been a little bit different. Uh, walk us through a day in your position and uh, kind of how it's been for this past summer.
2: <laughs> Coffee in the morning, Ryan, walk the dog, try to uh, clear, clear my head and the debate if well, I really want to check my phone or not. And then the days that I do, you feel pretty much strapped to your phone. Um, you know, I, it's good, though, because that's, it's, it's networking, it's, it's constant conversations. But a day in the light right now is really just trying to plan for what the logistics would be like if and when we're ready to start. You know, and then the other side to that is um, trying to communicate with our players and keep them, um, you know, connected to each other, connected to us be thinking hockey. So we're constantly, we're doing a lot of zoom calls and trying to connect with them. Um, yeah. And we're just long-term planning. And, and like I've mentioned multiple times already is looking at how do we adjust our culture. And I've had a lot of conversations. we just brought on a performance coach actually that will announce that uh, shortly. And, you know, it's just looking at different ways to look at mental skills and how mental skills translate into success. You say on the ice and not just say on the ice, but even, for the, for the player off the ice. So in academic world and personal health and personal life. So we're really trying to take a deep dive into that as well. So, and it's just putting it really putting all that together. That's collective effort. That's not just me. That's, this is a, a group effort, coaching staff, management staff and even scouting staff and we've been you and i obviously been talking quite a bit too about looking at the analytical side and looking at ways to to pull information really just trying to put everything together and it's not something that was in place previously so this that's this is this is new and that's why we're i feel like i'm spending majority of my time on that and yeah it's been it's been good and then Around dinner time the phone goes away because if it doesn't, uh, a couple of evil eyes come across the table at me. And uh, and and you know what, that's the healthy balance. Honestly, anyone it's a big piece, right? I got a young family and my wife's unbelievably supportive. Without her, I'm not anywhere near in a position to do the job that I have that I have now and that I've done in the last, for the last however many years I've been scouting, twelve to fourteen. And, and so that means you've got to dive into your family and so it, it can't be 24 7 and it could be you could see how it is i'll tell you everyone's got questions emails texts, calls i'm very selective as to you know at certain times of the night i put it away and i have to uh, that's, that's a, a healthy balance is the only way that's going to work so yeah trying gotta, to do that we'll see if i can pull that off time trade deadline time I feel <laughs> it
1: work. yeah but, for sure <laughs> no it, it's good to keep that sanity and um, you know the, the off season has been very different but As you said, you you have to take that time to take a step back. And uh, a number of guests that we've had on the podcast have mentioned their wives, their families, their kids as as hauling them away from the game in in a good way and being supportive when necessary. Uh, My girlfriend always jokes that um, she's not a hockey fan, really not really involved in the game. She loves sports and everything, but not a huge hockey fan. And she always wonders how I think about that. But um, at the end of the day, you know, it's actually nice to to get away from the game sometimes and and have that disconnect. So um you know when you dive back into the game it's it's all good but uh you know another program you were involved in and we'll just touch on this briefly is the Edge Hockey program uh, just talk about that and then your involvement there
2: so we when i was uh scout, early scouting and um coaching junior junior c junior a uh, in around midland we, truthfully, we looked at it as a recruiting tool and a chance for me to get to know players locally a little bit better. So we created um, we created a hockey program. It was called Edge. And at some at one point along the way, we had, you know, multiple OHL players, NHL drafted players skating with us. And it, it was a development ice. So we'd run, you know, an hour, two-hour sessions a couple times a week and get the kids on the ice, get them together. And they would come from all through Muskoka, you know, Barry, Simcoe County, um, you know, probably pulled from an area that would be about two-hour, three-hour drive at times. And even the kids were starting to filter in out of Toronto. And, and and then we started a league as well. So similar to some leagues that run around the province, this is going back in time, it's about 10 years now. We had a league that ran one night a week here in Midland, and it got to the point where it was, it was excellent hockey, and it was a great recruiting tool for me. I'd, you know, I'd learn about the players locally. Then they would pull friends in from other OHL teams. You get to meet them, you get to watch them. And it's something that I really, in hindsight, wish I'd have kept going with, but it's the same theme we just finished talking about as the young family. And, and I just realized, and this is my summers, although it was great for my wallet and another, an opportunity for me to learn more about people and players, I, I just couldn't balance it. I, I had to turn it off in the summers or, um yeah, it was just not good for good for family life. So I miss it. I run a girls program now. Uh, My, my two daughters keep me busy um, coaching them. So we actually run a similar model, but for girls hockey, Uh, obviously I'm not using it for recruitment or scouting, but um, it's still good to get together and go with the kids in the ice, but good, good old days. Edge hockey was something that I miss. Um, Maybe we'll resurrect it at some point down the road. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Who knows what opportunities lie ahead. And it's interesting to hear that you're involved in, girls hockey and able to uh you know connect with your family that way um reflecting here a little bit more uh looking at you know resources for reference and learning new ideas uh, whether they're books articles uh, what are some of your favorites to reference over time
2: i'm uh i do love to read um it's was one called oh i just had not tip my tongue it'll come to me as i tell you um which basically talked about the gold mine effect and that's a few years old now, and this is what really started to get me into reading. Is just looking at like underlying, like uh, unheralded players, and coming from. Have you ever read it before? But basically, it talks about you know athletes that come from areas that that are hotbeds but they're not all their hotbeds because they the way that they train the way they the way that they look at it the way that they the, the way they compete and how the hard they work and it's not the silver spoon scenario so the athletes who've got the access to everything you typically the elite athletes come from the opposite the ones that have less access but have a drive and a passion like Usain Bolt's the Jamaican sprinters is a great example so that book really got me into thinking outside the box about how do we how how important is it to you know so we might look at scouting, we might look at a certain region as as being a hotbed but what about those other regions that maybe the players haven't had the same opportunity but how you know could we value them a little bit different really got me into reading and looking at different things this summer I've been re- into a ton of uh, leadership books I just finished uh, a book called lead for god's sake um, in chop wood carry water and I've been into another book called legacy which is what the all blacks and they all really dive into not necessarily culture, but look at um, how you deal with people, dealing with people and how dealing with the athlete, you know, generates a sense of safety. And I mentioned that earlier. And I think that's that safety creates the opportunity to, to, to blossom and bloom. Right. So yeah, that's been a lot of my rating um, for sure. But I would highly, I highly encourage read um, Chopwood, Water, legacy and lead for God's sake. Those three have been awesome uh, over the course of the summer for sure.
1: Yeah, very interesting to hear those different books, and uh, a few of those have been mentioned before, and we we hear a theme with a lot of these uh, popular ones, the legacy uh, being one of the ones that comes up quite often, but, uh, you know, there's so much you can learn from those resources, those books and articles and podcasts and webinars, you know, there's so many resources out there that if you go looking for it, whether it's in sport or leadership, as you touched on or culture or whatever it may be, uh, there's a lot of takeaways. Uh, speaking of takeaways, I know you mentioned some mentors uh throughout the, the podcast here, but uh, once again, just name some mentors who have helped you get to where you are today, and then what are some of the major lessons that they taught you?
2: Yeah, like, and I mentioned Brian Killery before, and I and think the, the way that we're gonna we treat each other, and the fun that we have, and the respect. And, and Killer was hard too, though. I, I can think of stories where we were, you know, there was a player who I said was too small, and and he was like, how small? And I, and I think he, I said, Oh, like, you know, he's five, three. He's like, Oh, could he, can he walk under this table? And I was like, well, he's not that small. He's like, but is he a good hockey player? I was like, yeah, he's a great hockey player. He's like, I don't care how small he is. I'm like, okay. Good lesson killer. I got you. But you know, in front of the whole scouting staff and I'm starting to like crawl under the desk thinking, Oh my God. But you know, you know, accountability wise, he, he was awesome in that way too. But so killer was an unbelievable mentor. I still talked to him literally when I was named a GM, he called me and wished me well. And uh, a great guy. Yeah. Opportunity in Detroit with Paul Maurice and Pete DeBoer and, and Jimmy Rutherford, the guy, I still connect with a little bit of those guys from time to time. Um, and, but just to see their professionalism, but they also the same theme. They love to have fun. Some of the jokes that Paul Maurice if you ever watch his interviews, you know that he's a sarcastic, dry humor guy, but as a coach, he was outstanding. He'd have you laughing in stitches. And, um, and, and, but that's that, that you need that environment, right? I mean, it is a tough sport and the business is not easy. And, when you're running day to day, if you can't find windows to have fun, it's like, then why, why are you there? And what are you doing it for? And if you're taking it serious all the time, it's just, you'll be worried about stuff you can't control. I think they taught me that too, right? You can only control, you can only worry about what you control, what's within your window and stick to the process and, and not get too worried about yourself. Got a funny story. Paul Maurice, we're having it he's our coach in Detroit and Stan, Stan Bowman, or uh, sorry. Um, Scotty Bowman, not Stan, sorry. Scotty Bowman is the coach of the Red Wings. And Bowman steps onto the visiting dr- bench to watch our practice. We practice at the Joe Louis Arena. And and uh, and he's watching practice. And as players, we knew who he was. And obviously, pucks are starting to fumble, and everyone's starting to get nervous. And Paul, Paul Maurice blows the whistle, calls us in, and he's like, "Anyone here know who that is?" And, he, and of course, he uses some fl- some flamboyant language. And we're all like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, I know you idiots know who it is because you haven't had a pass on your tape. It's behind you. You look terrible." He's like, "One day, I wouldn't mind doing being an NHL coach, not have to like pile lumber." and he's like if you guys wouldn't mind just putting passes on the tape and he's like bleep 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 and of course this makes us howl we're laughing and i'm sure bowman wonders what the conversation is and we go back and practice is then top notch so i mean you have no i mean and now those are things i remember like you have to pull those types of funny experiences but and carry them in your day to day you know and, and i love to just take, keep in touch with people and, I, and to drop a name or two like there's so many guys from the hockey times that i see and probably a really good mentor who's the same age as me is joe birch and joe just took the job as the ceo in uh with the kitchen rangers and had a great job with the Ontario hockey league and he's been a guy that i've really leaned on a lot just professionally looking at um you know how do i get into managing and and then if i do what do i need to look, look at Or what are the things i should be worried about what's the how you know professionalism on a day-to-day basis dealing with people and if you ever talk with joe or anyone who ever has, you know, he is the consummate professional. I mean, the way he looks and dresses and the way he treats everybody with the utmost respect and every day is a great day. And, and uh, yeah, I pull a lot out of that. Um, you know, more of a friend than I would maybe call him a mentor, but I guess that's kind of one of each other, but you know, Ryan, it's just rubbing shoulders and constantly keeping in touch with people. And at any time I'm in the arena, like my wife will always say, if I'm even just with my kids at a kid's game, it's seeing someone you haven't seen forever and it's just catching up and, how, where, where, what's going on in your life, what are you doing, and pull, pull experiences, and pull stories, and yeah, and and that drives you on a daily basis, I find, but those are just a few guys, for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that constant interaction is great, and, uh, you know, before I moved in with the Sting, I was with the Scout.ca, and, uh, you know, pretty much living in the rinks, didn't have a car, so I'd go to a tournament at 7 a.m., and I'd be there till 9, because that's when my ride was coming, so yeah uh, it's just one of those things where you you were having those conversations and meeting those new people and i think like you said that's where most of the lessons that i learned anyway came from there so it's interesting to hear that for you as well whether it was someone older or even some of your own age like uh Birch. so you know yeah, great opportunities
2: there i find you're you're just constantly and you're and it's just you're i mean you're not stealing info but you're just like how do you guys go about things? What do you think? What have you seen? You know, and then it's been professional life too, is how, how are you balancing, you know, getting to, how are you getting to that term? And then a lot of times then you're carpooling. And then when you're carpooling, you're learning different things with you know about different guys. And I, that, that's the, the, the scouting side of it and getting into scouting. That's what I tell any young scouter even our own guys. And the, I know when even you and I talked, it's just be willing to completely put yourself out there and, and not to, to, to just, pigeonhole yourself to your job so and i remember like my job was initially just the eta but i was such a sponge and i must have drove Joe joel roley really crazy early on you know i'd be in arena at a game in toronto and i'd be like what are you doing here? like well i just want to know who this guy is like why would i not learn about this player so i can cross-reference him against players in the eta and you know just being willing to just totally dive into it and not and not just close doors and ask questions and um Oh, yeah, i feel like i ask more questions than i than, than not you know another mentor just came to me and not to circle back i was patty higgins i don't know if you know patty patty was worth this auto 67s too and an unbelievable guy and him his son and i worked together for a bunch of years too but patty the questions part is what remind me of him is he would constantly be on asking questions don't sit on your hands you know if in the scouting meeting there's you know there's there's dealt there's dull time say something you know give your two cents on a player and and fight for who you believe in no matter what and even if you've realized that the gm or the coach or the head scouts not changing their mind don't give up on your thoughts and i was like yeah, that's patty higgins he was uh he was a strong voice so sorry to circle back but i just he i just he he i thought of him
1: after too yeah another great name to throw in there and i've heard stories as well so uh, great to hear you've had that experience, and and like you said, the, you ask questions and, and you get the answers that way, and it's a great learning point for anybody starting out or or somebody who's been in the industry for a long time. Yeah. Um, if circling back, maybe to yourself, uh, you know, just coming out of the OHL or or someone in a similar position who's hoping to be a scout or general manager in the OHL, what is one final piece of advice that you would give them? Yeah, it's well. we'll
2: You've got to put the time in to know what what you think about a player, and then the time to start to learn about what a player looks like. I think, you know. So you might, you know, you may ha- you might have your interpretations of, you know, I like this player because. Okay, great. You have to obviously put the time in to learn every little nuance about him on the ice, off the ice. Be willing to do that, and then it's. I think it's getting the knowledge for how does that player translate into the Ontario Hockey League? You know, and then I think it's getting a sense for projection, right? Like this, this is a, and not that we use this phrase where people have to, this is a second line player, first line player, but it's now getting a sense for this is an elite talent. This is a, you know, we feel he'll probably be, you know, a point producer or he's a power play specialist or he's a, he's a, you know, a checker or a strong two-way defenseman, you know, or starting goaltender versus uh, probably backup goaltender. But you have to get a sense for, you know, where they'll likely slot in. And I think the only way you get that is by being in the ranks and watching, and watching them through, you know, that three, four year span. You know I have the same dreams too like i'm I'm thrilled to be where I'm at in Sarnia but I, i'm I'm not lying my goal is to long term get into national hockey League in some way so you know so I'm still doing the same thing that I've just said that other people should be doing is it's it's learning and and grinding and finding new ways and looking at players in in as many ways as possible and then analyzing my my reports on that player from three years back and the stats and what happened with that player or why was I right with that player and you know that's that's the big one is just you've got to get out and watch games and get it and get a good sense for for who they are and where they slot in um it's a thankless job man like and and everyone and anyone who listens and everyone who who scouts or has tried they'll realize it it is it's thankless it's cold coffee it's terrible food it's you're adding inches to your waistline all through the winter to try to shed it in the summer and then do it all over again <laughs> and, you're sitting in cars and sometimes having conversations with people you don't want to, but you got no choice because you're stuck in a rink and, and you're there for 12 hours, like you said, and you're doing it the next day, but um, you've got to have fun while you're there too. So if you're ever stuck in the situation, you're not having fun, then maybe scouting's not for you, but I'll tell you, I've had an absolute blast doing it. I don't have any other hobbies. Like I don't hunt, I don't fish, I don't snowmobile. You know, I'm not a carp master. I'm not a carpenter. I, I, I love watching hockey games and that's what i That's really my pastime, and that's my that's my hobby. So, although I'm getting paid differently now, um, I still look at it as a hobby. To be honest, I don't look at it it as a job.
1: So, yeah, like they say, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that's a that's a good way to uh, you know look look at your future job and and just go after what you want and and what you enjoy. And like you said, if if you get there, good. And you know, if it doesn't work out exactly the way, you'll still have a fun time along the path. So. Dylan, yep. I just wanted to thank you for taking some time today to join me on the podcast. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to hear about your career and your future aspirations. And like you said, a Memorial Cup, if that's in the pipeline, uh, hopefully it's uh, sooner rather than later. And, uh, you know, I wish all the best moving forward.
2: Yeah, you'll have a chance at that too, buddy. So no, yeah. thanks. Thanks for having me. I was looking forward to joining. And I think, I've listened to a few. You're doing a great job and it's, uh, it's interesting. You've got a little following coming now too. So I was, I was happy to jump on. I was, I was looking forward to it. So thank you. All right. Take care.
0: I'd like to thank Dylan for joining me on the podcast and giving us a breakdown of his career and unique connections in the game. His knowledge and personal approach when discussing the game is something that many people admire, so once again I'd like to thank him for being so open and sharing his insight. If you would like to get in touch with Dylan to discuss his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or contact Hockey Minds podcast at Outlook.com and I can look to make that connection for you. Next on the podcast I'll be joined by Jackson Sloan-White, mental performance coach with the Charlottetown Islanders. Being the first coach in this area to join the podcast, Jackson presented some unique perspectives which really opened my eyes in some areas, so be sure to tune in when that episode is released. As a final note, I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on our multiple platforms, and let us know who you'd like to hear from next. As always, stay safe, and all the best.